Coming up on this week's WAC podcast, we're going to talk to Violet Palmer, the WAC coordinator of women's basketball officials and the first ever female referee in the NBA. Among other topics, we're going to talk about how the COVID crisis might affect officiating. We'll also check in with Rachel V. Hill in our weekly segment where we talk about things around the WAC. And Nick Gonzalez picks up a prestigious national award. That's all ahead on the WAC podcast. Gonzalez swings and he crushes it. Left center field. Warning track walk. Goodbye. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is presented by Hercules Tires. Now here's your host, Eric Danner. Welcome to the WAC Podcast. My name is Eric Danner, joined as always in our first segment by Rachel Vigil, the WAC on-air talent and broadcasting coordinator. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm good, Eric. How are you? I'm hanging in there, Rachel. Uh, anything, uh, obviously, this weekend uh, was was a little sad around the country, but personally, were, were you able to, to do anything? Were you able to get outside, do anything like that this weekend? Um, yeah, I got outside. I got a haircut. I chopped seven inches nice. off my hair, so nice little change for me. Uh, besides that, though, you know, just kind of hung out, still uh, staying at home. I'm going to be going to a cabin with some family members later this month to kind of just escape a little thing. So I'm still trying to stay in like away from people just in case. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, a strange times. Obviously we've been in lockdown for about three months. It's June now. So what we've, we've flipped the calendar. Uh, we talked a little bit uh, in previous shows that how fast all of a sudden things are going by. And that seems to be the case again, we're, we're now in the, in the stage where in a normal year we would be, Maybe, you know, summer vacations, you know, uh, th- those kind of things. But, you know, here it, it's kind of all seems like it's the same thing going on Groundhog Day every day. I know. I was actually supposed to be heading to Florida on Friday of this week. And uh, we had an extended family vacation. And then obviously that got canceled. Uh, so I'm bummed. But I also understand that it's better to be safe than sorry, of course. So um but yeah, I know it's so weird. I wish I was going to the beach. I love the beach area. It's yeah. one of my like favorite places. But uh, again, rather be safe than sorry. You know, my grandma was gonna go and everything like that. So you just never know. Yeah, and actually, this past week I would have been at the SVG convention in Atlanta, uh, and and if you watch the the news coverage, obviously with with the protesting and and rioting and and all those sorts of things going on this past week in Atlanta. Uh, the the hotel where the SVG convention is every year, right next to the CNN Center, which uh, I was watching the live coverage of, you know, the the windows being broken and and uh, protesting and fires being set right in front of the CNN Center, which is adjacent to that hotel. And right on the other side of it is the College Football Hall of Fame. I don't know if you saw that, Rachel. That that was basically destroyed in the uh, in the rioting in Atlanta. So tough times for our country. Uh, obviously. A lot of uh, a lot of unrest. Uh, saw this uh, saw on Monday morning. Uh, Lance Irvin, the uh, Chicago State men's basketball coach, sent out a tweet. Uh, I understand the pain and frustration about what's happening in America. We must continue to organize peaceful protests and collaborate to find positive solutions during this time of desperation. We cannot fall into our own trap or into the trap of looting and ravaging our own communities. When we destroy black businesses, we are destroying black jobs other economic benefits and opportunities. So uh, Lance tweeting that, so I encourage everybody to check that out on his uh, on his Twitter feed. And obviously we, we echo a lot of those uh, same 
sentiments as uh, Lance Urban. Yeah, you know, I wanted to say something, but I don't think I quite understand. I've never been in that position uh, where I'm, I hear everybody talking, obviously, like I hear what's going on. I hear all their frustrations and I would never understand that personally, but like I do stand by everybody. Um, I've been in cars when, um, unfortunately, African-Americans have been pulled over and, you know, I was never scared, but I know they were scared. So I feel their frustrations and it's just crazy how it's kind of all come full circle with like Kaepernick and everything going on. And, um, you know, I just want our country to be good again and, um, hopefully just, it's hard to put into words everything going on right now and to try and wrap your head around it. You just want everybody to feel safe and like be healthy again too. So um, definitely struggling times, but I know our country will hopefully get through it and messages are being heard, I think, unlike any time before. Very well said, Rachel. And this is the WAC podcast. So the the purpose of this is, is to discuss things around the Western Athletic Conference. And trying to uh, to change or pivot here into maybe some more positive news. Uh, this past week, Nick Gonzalez of New Mexico State named the National Player of the Year. So congratulations to Nick, and, and what a season he had. I know. He was top five in 10 categories nationally, which is crazy. He's actually going to be our guest for WAC All Access this week, and I am hey, so right. excited um, to sit down and talk to him. Obviously, like, huge career. It'll be really interesting to see his standpoint on, like, when everything got canceled and, you know, with the MLB draft coming up too. So I'm very excited to sit down and talk to Nick. Uh, He's super busy. So like getting him in was definitely a trying time. So we don't have a time narrowed down yet, but he is going to be on our guest this week. Wow. That's, that's a great get Rachel. Uh, Nick, the collegiate baseball or uh, collegiate baseball newspaper national player of the year. And as you mentioned, led the uh, nation in five different categories, including home runs, Runs batted in, runs scored, and total bases. And let's not forget, Rachel, last year when they played an entire season, he led the nation in batting average. Yeah, dude's a stud. I mean, Nick Gonzalez is a complete stud. I'm so excited to see where his career is going to go in these upcoming months and everything with the MLB draft happening. Um, you know, maybe he's going to be our top pick here in the WAC, which will be very exciting. Yeah, and the, uh, the MLB draft uh, will be – Uh, coming up June 10th, and it's been announced that it'll be broadcast on both ESPN and the MLB network, and and it'll be a nighttime draft. So it's a little different because in prior years, Rachel, when it's a 40-round draft, the MLB draft really doesn't have that same sizzle as maybe the the NFL draft or the NBA draft. But this year with not much going on, it's a five-round draft. So maybe people are a little more familiar or getting more familiar with some of the folks who are going to be drafted here. And uh, that'll be uh, June 10th, so so uh, 7 o'clock Eastern time, so uh, where we are, 5 o'clock Mountain time uh, to watch that. So the other uh, thing there is another mock draft. MLB's mock draft actually came out and has Nick Gonzalez going number four to the Kansas City Royals. Now, I've seen uh, – I did see one mock draft that had him dropping to number nine, but uh, pretty much everything else has had him in the top five, which uh, obviously would uh, – be very good for Nick and obviously a, a bigger contract the higher up that he goes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I One thing I think we all love about sports is we never know what is actually going to happen. So um, we would obviously love for him to go in the top five, uh, but even if he drops down to nine, that's still like incredible. So, I mean, what, whatever happens to him, I'm sure it's going to be good. And uh, we, we've had players in the WAC, obviously since 1962, 
that were taken in the top five and Arizona, Arizona State used to be members of the WAC and actually the first ever draft pick in the Major League Baseball draft. Number one overall was uh, Rick Monday, who played uh, for Arizona State and obviously played in the WAC then. And then the following year, Reggie Jackson, who was his uh, teammate, was drafted number two overall. So uh, that, that'll be some uh, whack in the day trivia coming up here in the next few weeks. Uh, one of the things I'm working on for this week, Rachel, uh, for whack in the day is, is the last time we had a first round pick in the whack, and it was back in 2010. And that was Colton Wong, who uh, plays for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was the 22nd overall pick in the draft that year. And Colton Wong, now the uh, starting second baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. He went to the University of Hawaii when they were in the WAC. And in 2010, he was the MVP of the WAC tournament, was three-time first-team all-WAC. And he's basically been the, the Cardinals starting second baseman since 2014. So it took him a couple of years, which is typical. You have to work your way through the minors before you get that shot in the majors. But uh, uh, not a power hitter like Nick Gonzalez, but a, a middle infielder like Nick Gonzalez. So, so maybe he can uh, point to Colton Wong's success in the Major League Baseball ranks uh, as to something that could happen for him. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to ask Nick, too, like, if he's talked to anybody that used to be in the WAC. Um, obviously, Joey Ortiz last year, if he's been able to get in touch with him and what he's been doing and just kind of the off-season workouts and see maybe if they might get together to try and do something. Uh, but, yeah, I'm really excited to sit down and talk to Nick and just see who he's been able to get in contact with and to hopefully help him with this next journey. Yeah, I saw Adam Young tweeted out, uh, I think it's five or six years in a row, New Mexico State's had somebody drafted, I want to say in the top 10 rounds, and uh, Jet Johnson, uh, another guy who plays in the Orioles organization that's uh, getting close to getting to that major league level. So I'm sure, as you mentioned, Joey Ortiz, I I'm sure he and Nick have had conversations about uh, the next step as well. So that'll be very exciting for us uh, coming up June 10th, the Major League Baseball draft. Uh, more exciting news, Megan Clavitter also picking up an award, the Chicago State uh, great player that uh, they had uh, the past few years was our, our defensive player of the year in the Western Athletic Conference, or libero of the year. Uh, 2020 AASP Career Development Award honoree by the NCAA. So congratulations to Megan Clavitter on picking that up. Yeah, Megan is the biggest sweetheart since I met her in SAC, you know, she's been nothing but kind. She's extremely forward with like everything, all of her passions too, and just helping other individuals and kind of how this all came about was when SID at Chicago State, Corey Miggins had passed away, you know, she kind of stepped into this role and I think it's just benefited her in so many ways that she's been able to help other people too. Yeah, we did the Learn, Compete, Inspire story uh, with Megan, also interviewed Hope Schuler uh, as there was a, a whole a host of people, uh, once Corey passed away, very tragic, uh, early 40s, very unexpected. Uh, Chicago State didn't have an assistant SID or anyone else that could step into the role. Megan was just supposed to be an intern that semester. And it, it, again, uh, knowing Megan a little bit, I mean, it, it's not surprising that she stepped into the role, learned as much as she could about it, kept uh, Chicago State afloat, uh, so to speak, in terms of their sports information responsibilities and, and did a great job there. But uh, Hope Schuler was also in that piece that we did, and, and she helped organize because she had worked in Illinois, some SIDs in the Chicago area that, that also pitched in to help out Chicago State. So that's, uh, that's on our YouTube channel, I know, the, uh, the LCI about uh, Corey Megan. So uh, if you want to check that out. So uh, congratulations again to Megan. I know she's on your radar for uh, uh, WAC All Access uh, in, in the next few weeks, I think, right? 
Yes, she will definitely be on here in the upcoming weeks. So definitely excited to talk to her, obviously see what her future plans hold as well. And uh, Chicago State also naming a new Associate AD for Communications this week. Uh, they, they named Jim Christian uh, at, at that position. And Jim, uh, he comes with a, an awful lot of experience, Rachel. He was uh, with the Chicago Bears for 16 years as their media relations manager and uh, most recently comes from the Seattle Dragons of the XFL. Obviously, the XFL had just started up, and then when COVID happened, they had to cease operations. So, so Jim goes back to Chicago, and I looked at the press release they sent out, and, and you know all the quotes they put about you know what things people have to say. Brian Erlacher was one of the people uh, quoted in that, and Brian Erlacher tying in the whack again here. Uh, former whack, he played in New Mexico, and his final year, I believe, was in the Mountain West, but he played a couple years in the whack, and uh, he had some very nice things to say about uh, Jim. So we're excited to have him in the league. Yeah, I think super interesting. He's coming from the XFL. Obviously, we have no idea what that holds now with COVID. Uh, but I'm sure that's just like a whole new ball game for everything. You know, XFL kind of was just a different animal, a different beast. So to see what he learned from just the short time there to what he'll bring to Chicago State is really interesting. And Chicago State will be the subject of Whack Top Plays next week. We're doing something a little different as we're now in summertime rates where we have the uh, going through and picking out the top four plays of the year and then having a competition, one versus four, two versus three. Uh, this week's uh, competition is California Baptist, and we have two women's soccer plays, a men's soccer play, and uh, one men's basketball play. So I'm kind of interested to see how the CBU fans or uh, WAC fans in general are going to vote for those plays. Uh, the Milan Aqua step back uh, against Seattle U towards the end of the season in overtime. That was one of the best plays I, I, I thought this year was uh, comes in as our number four seed though. So uh, the, the CBU soccer fans really came out in droves uh, to vote for their favorite plays this past year. I love this idea. I think I've mentioned it before. And I think it's so cool to kind of see, you know, their own programs have to go head to head to see what happens. And for soccer to be above basketball, you know, when you think of like the powerhouse sports, uh, you think of basketball and football, but for soccer to step up, I'm like, yeah, that's freaking <laughs> awesome. I love it. And then uh, Rick Croy was also in the news this past week, the men's basketball coach at California Baptist. And he was, uh, serving uh, lunch to frontline workers in Riverside. So uh, again, we we, we kind of see, you know, with, with all the bad that's happening in the world, and it's always kind of good to see the, these good stories and, and things like Coach Croy going out to, to help out those frontline workers. Yeah, and no surprise that it was Chick-fil-A. I mean, we all love <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it was awesome to see Coach Croy go out and do that. They fed 300 um, workers out there, which is awesome. Uh, and we appreciate all those people that are still putting their lives on the line to help us out and to keep us safe and healthy as well. So uh, big shout out to Coach Croy on doing that and, you know, putting himself at risk to go and help all these people too. Right. So that, uh, uh, obviously was, was a great story there with uh, Coach Croy and, uh, Rachel, again, it's uh, interesting times. So um, we we always like to pass along those good stories. So if you have any for us, please please by all means uh, hit us up on on Twitter or Instagram, wherever you might find those stories. Yes, definitely send them our way. We love to hear them. We love to share them. You know, social media can be such a great platform. I think to get different stories out. Uh, I was reading news articles from all the protests that were going on from different cities that I would probably never have seen um, before. And I think there are a lot of really great protests going on 
Um, I think it's great to get your voice heard, but they've also been very peaceful. So I think social media is awesome. So yeah, any great stories that you do have, please send them our way. We would love to share them. All right, this was our first video version of the WAC podcast. Uh, we're going to try to do this each and every week, at least in our, our first segment uh, with Rachel V. Hill. So if you're listening on uh, Spotify or on Apple or on SoundCloud, uh, our next segment is going to be Violet Palmer, the WAC coordinator of women's basketball officials. And she has a great story, very interesting to talk to, and first female NBA referee. Uh, and is now our, our coordinator of women's basketball officials. So look forward to that conversation, Rachel. And uh, thanks again for, for taking some time out. We'll see you again next week. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That is Rachel V. Hill. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our partners, Hercules Tires, Ticket Smarter, and Adidas. Now, back to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. This is Eric Danner reminding you that Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle, whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. And as promised, joining us now on the WAC Podcast, very excited to be joined by Violet Palmer, the WAC coordinator of women's basketball officials. Violet, how are you doing today? I am doing amazing, Eric. Thank you so much for uh, for inviting me and having me. I look forward to just sharing some positive thoughts with you. Well, Violet, uh, always great to talk with you. And and we've uh, we did a, a learn, compete, inspire story with you. Uh, not not too long ago, and uh, that was one of my favorite interviews I've done since I've been in the WAC. Uh, obviously, it's it's been a tough few months uh, for everybody. Uh, back in March, we're, we're in WAC Vegas, and uh, first round of the women's basketball tournaments going on, and and after the the third game, uh, decide to to suspend uh, things going on there, and then as things played out, as as did uh, around the country, what wound up. Uh, canceling the tournament and obviously the, the COVID infection then hit the United States and obviously that, that's impacted everybody. But uh, how are things going with, with you, Violet, in terms of uh, the past few months? You know, it's kind of just been uh, a standstill, you know, a lot of the unknown, you know, I'm, I'm very, very thankful. I'm, I'm thankful that myself and my family, um, all of our officials are safe and healthy um, everybody's doing okay. Um, we're all going a little stare crazy, but you know what? I've learned some things during this time. I've actually learned, uh, I've learned, I, I had to clean my house. I had to do some yard work. I, <laughs> you know, I just did some things to kind of keep me occupied. I kind of worked on my, 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 in, my at home workout routine, you know, just trying my best to, uh, to do positive things. Um, to keep my mind off of worrying um, about what the unknown is. I think we're all, we're, you know, we're just staying positive and um, still pretty good about where we are. You know, things are a little scary, but you know that, you know, we're, we're very resilient and that um, when this is all done, we will all be stronger. Um, and that's just the, the attitude that we all have to take. We're talking with Violet Palmer, who's the WAC coordinator of women's basketball officials. And Violet, you you live in the Los Angeles area. Obviously, the the past week, a very sad week for the for the country with the, the death of George Floyd, and then the uh, 
the protests that it, that have some of them have become uh, more violent uh, riots, fires, th- those type of things. Uh, fr- from where you are in California, Violet, are, are you and your family able to stay safe? We are. We are. I can honestly say that the uh, the protests are literally are probably a mile from my home, mile and a half, because uh, I live really, really close to the Beverly Hills area. I live really, really close to the Grove, and those were um, targeted areas. I live. I'm only 15 minutes from downtown. Uh, Melrose is literally uh, a half a mile from me. So all those particular areas that that. Where, where they had all the protesting, I live pretty close. And I can honestly say that thank, that we're very thankful that, you know, our communities, they, you know, no homes were hit or anything like that, you know, with the looting. And, and it's just really kind of sad. I understand that, you know, people are angry and people want answers and, and we're not getting the answers that, that we want. And I think we should protest, but I think it should be peaceful. I think, you know, just the looting and, and tearing up, you know, people's properties and businesses. And, and it's real, that part's kind of sad because we've been locked down for three months or two and a half months. And I, I've, I've actually, Eric, I've lost count. Of how long <laughs> it's it's hard now. to keep track. Not to count no more. Yeah. But um, we're just now kind of starting to go back to work a little bit and, and do things that we normally do. And now we hit these small businesses with all this vandalism and, and looting, which now prevents people who needed to go back to work to work because now the the, the businesses are, are not going to be able to open. So that's the sad part. And I just hope that, you know, with the leadership of the government, of our government, and I can honestly say that I'm very, very proud of our, our mayor in Los Angeles and our governor of, of California, that they have stepped fast and they have made decisions and they, they, they acted quickly. Um, even watching the news this morning when I got up, you know, the cleanup crews were out and people are out trying to get L.A. back together so that people can go to work. And, and that just, to me, shows how resilient we are as a community and as human beings, because, you know, we understand we're, we're all angry, but there's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to express that anger. And I think that's we just have to target it. We have to target our anger in a positive way and not in a negative way. Yeah, and me being a former local news reporter, and it's you know the news does focus on on more of the bad than the good, and you know it's it's important that the, those messages get out there. But like you said, I mean the cleanup that's that's the good part. There there's a lot more good people doing good things than, than bad people doing bad things, and I think that kind of gets Absolutely. lost in all this. So, absolutely, totally agree. Now we're we're in June. Uh, as you mentioned, it's hard to figure out if it's two and a half, three months that, that we've been <laughs> in, in this lockdown. Now, as the uh, coordinator of basketball officials for the WACA, and you also do this for, for a number of other conferences, what would you normally be doing this time of year and versus what, what you're planning on doing this, this month this year? Wow, you know, that's a great question. It, I can honestly tell you that Today would have been my debriefing day from having my first uh, my first camp because I actually have two sessions of right. my basic referee school. Um, and normally I run three camps a summer. So the first camp obviously was canceled. Well, pretty much all of my camps are going to be canceled this summer. But literally today would have been my debriefing from my first 
camp, which would have been this past weekend. Um, so, of course, I would have been with all of my officials. We would have had a great time. We did some teaching, some classrooms, some, you know, being on the court, just just being a part of the sport that we really love and, and that being taken away, just trying to now come up with some different ways, innovative ways to kind of stay connected to our officials and give them uh, just a way, different ways of learning. Uh, we're going to have a couple of a virtual um, Zoom classroom sessions with video and, and that type of stuff because we're not able to actually come face to face. Um, together this summer. But again, you know, it, it just means that we can still do it. We're just going to have to do it in a different way. Um, that's productive that we can still learn. I think the positive thing for me is that size, uh, since I came into the, to the WAC as the coordinator of officials and having the other conferences, from the time I started, we've had our training program. So for me, you know, yes, are we kind of taking a year off where we're the face-to-face training and being able to get together and go to camps and, and do what we do? Um, you know what? We're in a great place. Our officials, you know, they're all healthy. They're safe. We've been training year after year, and that hasn't stopped. So for, for me, I feel good about where we are and um, with the group. Um, I'm thankful that myself and my family are, are healthy and, and all of our officials are healthy. So that's, that's kind of the key element to all of this at this point in time, just to make sure that we all just follow the instructions and stay healthy so that once the fall, once we get through the summer and the fall gets here and we're able to go back with the guidelines that are set from all of our conferences and the NCAA, that we'll all be able to do it. But we have to know that it's not going to be the same as last year. And I think that's something that I've done in talking to all of our officials that just know that there's going to be a little change and, and, you know, not sure what, you know, we're just not sure what that change is going to be, but that's okay. But again, trying to reassure them that we, we, we will play again. We will be able to, to do something and that we all love dearly. Um, but it's just going to be done a little differently. Talking to Violet Palmer, what what are some of those potential changes, Violet? Has there been talk amongst uh, you know people in leadership positions with, with officials like, like yourself about you know I mean are, are officials going to have to wear masks, gloves? Uh, are they going to be traveling? Maybe not as much. Maybe use more uh, officials that live closer to where the games are. Those kind of things or no handshakes. Yeah. I mean, what what kind of things are being talked about? Well, you know what? You hit it on the head. And all those things are being discussed. Um, probably, I can honestly tell you that the handshakes in which we we, we actually stopped that at our tournament. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you right now that that will, will most definitely continue. And when we go back and we're able, able to, to actually get on the court and, and officiate games, there will be no handshaking. I, I, I know that for a fact. There will be no greeting, you know, the way we used to. Now, what we come up with, but, you know, we're kind of brainstorming what that may be. Um, but definitely, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure about the mask because, again, you have to blow a whistle. Right. Um, there's, been, there's been a discussion with Ron Foxcroft, which is he's the owner and he makes all of the whistles for every single sport for officiating. And he's actually made a hand whistle so that 
it can stay on your hand and you can just blow it without having to touch uh, touch it with your fingers, which I think would be good. Wow. Um, because again, if you're if it's on the back of your hand and you go to touch the ball, you're never touching your whistle, which is a good thing. And then you're putting that whistle in your mouth. So that may help um, as far as our officials being safe and not, you know, uh, putting so many different germs being added back and forth and all that stuff. So that's being discussed. You know, I haven't really sat down with all of our commissioners and, and, uh, athletic directors and for, you know, for everybody in the conference office, but I'm, I'm pretty sure with, you know, with certain conferences, as far as budgeting, I'm, I've already kind of come to the realization that there may be some travel um, restrictions, right? Um, a little bit, you know, it, it's, it, and it may not because the, the knock on wood, we're all of our conferences are flat fees. So officials were responsible for their own travel anyway. Um, but just trying to be safe as far as not having um, our officials do so much traveling, because again, the more that you're on an airplane, you know, the more that that recycle air, you're putting yourself in jeopardy. So possibly staying closer to home where you can actually drive to games that, you know, that, that may come into play as well, but hopefully by the time we get through the whole summer, you know, keeping our fingers crossed that, there may be some different guidelines that we have to abide by. So, but definitely having those discussions um, so that we can make sure that we're prepared if nothing changes, that if we stay where we are, we have a couple of things set in place to keep our officials and our student athletes healthy and safe. Yeah. Violet, when you talk about a flat fee and maybe some of our listeners might not uh, realize that, uh, that that was part of a an effort by uh, leagues and uh, and teams. You didn't want to have the same officials in this in the same area every single game, and that they may have been the case. You know, thirty years ago, where you know the same officials, you know, if they lived nearby, might do the the local uh, schools games all the time. And then there was a perception that you know maybe they they would favor that that host school more. There's been this effort to to spread out, so you see different officials in different places, and then the officials get a chance to see all these different arenas and environments. And you know, the, the, the th- thinking is that it would be a, a more fair way to uh, to distribute uh, who who calls games where. Absolutely, absolutely, Eric. And also, you know, it was it was cost cost effective for all of our universities for the conference, because again, if you, if you know what your budget is and that budgeted number is already set. So of course, when I'm assigning, I'm not over budget because the flat feet, we already know what those numbers are, which helps the conference and helps universities with their budget. So that's, that's another positive, um, for our universities and our and our conferences that will help when we, we actually go back. So it's not like they're looking, you can look at it and say, oh my God, you know, the officiating budgets are going to be astronomical. No, they're not. They, they're going to be status quo. Um, where we are last year, you know, last year, whatever the numbers were, those numbers will probably be the same or possibly lower. So that that's, I think that's a positive for our universities and our conferences. 
So I'm sitting there watching the last dance as uh, many folks in America were uh, for, for the five weeks. I, I, I'm going through last dance withdrawal because I, I enjoyed it so much and I've been able to watch it. Uh, and, and I'm watching, I, I don't, I don't know which episode it was, Violet, but I'm like, there she is. That's Violet, that's Violet Palmer. Yeah. You know, shaking hands with Michael Jordan. Uh, did you get a chance to see that episode? Oh, absolutely. I was just like you. I literally waited for the Sunday Sunday evening so, you know, we could have some basketball on television. And yes, you know what? And, it, and it's funny. I was I was a little behind in watching and all of a sudden my, my phone just started blowing up. You know, it was episode six. I can tell you what the episode, episode six, and everybody's texting me and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's, you know, it just put a smile on my face. And, and of course, I think what I liked is that, um, I look so. I, I was like, "Oh my God, look at my young days!" <laughs> I, I, actually, I turned it to a one. I was like, "Oh my God!" You know, a typical woman I always wants to look at her age and go, "Oh my God, I look so young and thin." I was in top, tip top shape, so, you know. Um, but again, it put a big smile on my face and um, very, very proud moment in my career. Obviously, I've, I've had some some astronomical and, and amazing things happened to me in the world of officiating. And I think that was, again, can be um, top of the list because there's not, there's not too many officials in the entire world that can say that they've had an opportunity to uh, referee or officiate one of the great ones. And I've honestly can say that I've had an opportunity to officiate a lot of the great ones um, to be in that, to be on that court with uh, a Michael Jordan, you know, a Kobe Bryant, a LeBron, Dwayne Wade. I mean, we, you name it um, is, is, is amazing, you know? And I think for me, looking back on my career, you know, you, you sit back and you go, wow, you know what? I did it. And I did it at the highest level. I was one of the top, officials in the world still am I can actually hold on to that title because again not there's there's not a lot of people that have had that opportunity and I, I'm just blessed to be able to have the opportunity and I'm even more blessed that I am still involved in officiating I'm still able to use what was given to me the God-given talent the ability to teach the ability to motivate and help all of our officials just become the best they can be. And you know what? We are the best. And, and, and that makes me feel so much better than my own accomplishment, being able to just be the leader um, that our officials need for, for our conference, for our universities, for our student athletes, because that's what we strive for. And I think for me, having that example, it kind of sets the tone. Um, it sets the tone for our officials, for our universities, for our conference, for our student athletes. And, and I just think that's important. And I'm just blessed and honored to be a part of it. Well, Violet, you got a chance to officiate MJ. You got a chance to officiate LeBron. So I got to ask the question, who's better? <laughs> wow. That's a, you know what? That's a tough question. And, and I can honestly say my top three, mm -hmm. um, my top three, I would have to say, I would, it's tough. Kobe, LeBron, uh, oh, wow. And Michael Jordan, oh, that's, that's tough. 
because you know what? They're they're all different. They're all right. Great, and but they're great in different ways. So I just have those are the top three for me. I don't know if I can necessarily say that I think one's better than the other. I think one's better in different aspects of their career. So that could be a whole nother podcast because um, <laughs> I can go into the individual, you know, how, how individually I think they're different and how they, how they impacted the league and, 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 and how they impacted their organizations and that type of thing. And I think, I think that's for me, you know, living it firsthand because those, those guys were all in my era of, of my 20 year career. So I'm very, very proud and honored that I just had that opportunity because there's there's not a lot of referees that can say that they refereed those three guys right. during their time of their prime. So I think for me, those are definitely the top three. Very, very tough to pick who's better than the other because, you know, they were all great in their own right. And they changed the league. They changed the NBA. There's no question. You have You have – Larry Bird and Magic Johnson set the tone and those guys came in after and just took it to another level. Talking with Violet Palmer and you mentioned earlier, Violet, that, that you live in Los Angeles. Uh, you also you grew up in the, in the area in Compton and went on to play college basketball at Cal Poly Pomona. What, what point uh, when you were growing up did you realize that college basketball might be an option for you? Wow. You know what, Eric? I... I can honestly say probably when I got to high school, because, you know, the good thing was I went to Compton High School and our high school team was really good. We had a good women's, we had a good women's basketball team. And I was a freshman and we had really good juniors and seniors and they were being recruited by all the different colleges and that type of stuff. And even before then, I played, a, you know, I played some AAU um, tournament basketball, and you would always see college coaches in the in the you know in the gym watching a tournament. But I was a little too young to kind of. I just loved the sport, you know. At that point, mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't really thinking about a scholarship. I was just thinking about, oh my god, I just want to play. I want to go to camp. I want to play on the team. But once I got to high school and started to watch, you know, college coaches come into our games and watching us, and and my my high school coach. Carolyn Montgomery, she was very, very influential in, with all of us. And um, it was that time that I figured, you know what? I just have to be one of the best and, and on my team. And there was a strong possibility, you know, and didn't know what, what, the, what the outcome was. But obviously, I met the late, great Hall of Famer, you know, uh, Darlene May. And uh, I just, fell in love with her. I just loved her demeanor, her body language, her, you know, how she carried herself. And she, it just, it, it was just a right fit for me and going to, you know, I had opportunities to go, go to school out of state and go to different places. And, and I just chose, you know what? I, I, I was fortunate because my mother and father was very uh, supportive and, and always were at my games and my brother's games and my nephew's games because we're the three in our family who play basketball. So I thought, you know what? I really like getting away. I got away enough from home, but not out of the state so that my parents could still come and watch and, and, and just support. And they never missed a game, never. So 
that's really how, you know, for me, how I got to Cal Poly Pomona to play. Um, and then afterwards, thinking about it, Eric, you know, and I'm sure a lot of young student athletes don't even think of this. I know for me, you know, after I grew up and got a scholarship, I didn't know how my parents would be able to pay for me to go to school. Right. And I think it's it was really a blessing to get a scholarship because I'd never forget my dad said to me one time, my dad said, he said, you know, he said, Violet, he said, uh, you getting that scholarship was, was, a, was a blessing. He said, I, I would have possibly had it to take a second out of my house or, you know, for, for you and, and Ron. I, I don't know. I, we would have got it done, but how we would have got it done, I don't know, you know. Um, so I, I was very, very proud and honored that I was able to, to go to school for free and didn't let that just slip through the cracks, you know. Um, and, and what an amazing time in my career. And I can honestly say I have to give myself a shout out. Uh, right before our WAC tournament uh, started, I actually, uh, Cal Poly inducted me into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. All right. So and I literally had the big Hall of Fame celebration. Right, before, It was literally the week before we uh, all the tournaments, all the conference tournaments started. So I was kind of on a high myself when the, when the tournament started because what a huge accomplishment and what a great celebration the, that Cal Poly gave all uh, all six of us that were were nominated for the Hall of Fame for this year. And and that that again, you know, for me, I, as I say that, you know, all the accolades and, and the things that I've done uh, in my wildest dreams, I have never, ever thought that this would have been the path that my life would have gone in. Well, you, went, you went a couple national championships, Division Two, at Cal Poly Pomona, Absolutely. and not uh, not the maybe opportunities uh, you know for professional careers. I mean, it's pretty limited anyway um, now, but especially back then, not as many opportunities. At what point do you think uh, officiating might be an option? Because I think when you're a basketball player, um, you're not always thinking, "Hey, I'd, I want to be an official." How, how did that come to be for you? You know what? You are so right, Eric. You're so right on point because, you know, I just wanted to play. And after graduating, you know, at that point, uh, telling my age here a little bit, um, (laughs) there was no WNBA at that point in time. So you either had to go overseas and try to play in Spain or Italy, you know, that type of thing, or go get a job. Right. And for me, I think I, I chose, you know what, it's time to get out and go get a job and, and try to get, figure out where my life's going to go. And, and I was fortunate, you know, I, I, um, uh, landed a job with the city of Los Angeles recreation and parks and did it for almost 10 years and was very, and loved it, you know? Um, but throughout that, I used to score keep, uh, men's rec- recreational league basketball games and one time my referee didn't show up and of course you know and i think for all of us who are in sports when you're running a rec league it's about keeping the games on time right so of course one of my referees didn't show up we always had a jersey in the office i go out put the jersey on we got to keep these games on time because you know <laughs> it's the fact i can get home um so of course i put the jersey on and went out and I understood the game. I, you know, I, I wasn't familiar with the mechanics. I knew the rules. But here again, I had been watching this year after year after year. When I was in college, I took an officiating course, you know, 
So I was very familiar with the core of how to officiate. Just had never done it. So I put the shirt on, went out, refereed the game, got get our, our umpire, I mean, our referee showed back up, completed my night. Unbeknownst to me that the supervisor who assigned all the officials for the for the tur- for that league, he was there and he was what he watched. And he came over after I was done. He says, Violet, he says, you know what? I just watched you. He said, you have you thought about getting into officiating? I was like, no, no, no. I'm, uh, you know, I, no, this is just a little part time job to make a little ends meet, you know, going to school and all that. So sure enough. Uh, after I landed the job with the city of Los Angeles, I joined the local, or my local um, LA unit high school association. And Eric, when I tell you that it was like the light bulb just went off, ding, oh. ding, 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 ding. And I fell in love. It was like a match made in heaven and uh, just moved very fast and worked my way up and started doing the city and the CIF championships and state and, got into division, into the college, got into division one, and you know, made it to the Pac-12, the Big West, the West, all the conferences um, that I'm having the opportunity now as a coordinator, which is again, you know, I, I'm just truly blessed. So that was just kind of how the officiating started for me. And uh, taking a step further, you know, I was very, very happy with women's basketball. I loved it. I didn't had no aspirations on uh, going over to the men's side at all um, and was given that opportunity as well. And that opportunity kind of knocked on my door as well, because I had kind of worked my way up um, at that, at the time, I think when, the, when uh, Dr. Aaron Wade gave me a phone call, he was uh, Dale Garrison's uh, assistant. Mm-hmm. of the officials in the NBA at the time. And he called me on the phone and said that he had saw me working um, an NCAA game at in Chicago at Purdue. And I said, really? He said, yes. He said, and the NBA is looking to train some women. Would you be interested? And I kind of looked at the phone like, this is a joke. Really? You know, and I put the phone back up to my ear. You know how you pull the phone away and then bring <laughs> it back? And, and sure enough, he... Uh, he asked me to see, he asked me if I could send him some tapes from my college games. And I said, yes. And I think about a week later, I received the NBA rule book, NBA mechanics book, NBA case book. And I received this letter saying that you're going to, you, that I was selected to go to an NBA training camp and the, the rest is history. Mm. And I literally, that's, you know, for me, how the NBA career started. But I think what a lot of people don't know is that living here in Los Angeles and once, once I got into officiating, I was refereeing every men's league in Los Angeles, everywhere. The Drew League, the Hollywood Pro-Am, you know, and these are, these are the men's basketball leagues even to the to, to day. Mm-hmm. They're like where all the NBA players come play in the summer. So again, I was already training myself to are preparing myself to get to the NBA, but not knowing that that opportunity would even present itself. I was just, I just love the sport of officiating and I just love doing it. And I just love basketball. So I was just doing something that I loved and unbeknownst to me, you know, I was given an opportunity 
And the NBA knocked on my door and I wasn't going to let that, that, that opportunity pass me by. You know, I went, well, you open the door, I'm going to kick it all the way down. And the rest is history. Talking with Violet Palmer, the WAC coordinator of women's basketball officials. October 31st, 1997, Violet, the Halloween night, uh, you become the first female to officiate an NBA game. What was, what was your approach to that particular game? I got to imagine there was a lot of butterflies involved. No, Eric, it wasn't butterflies. I was scared out of my wits. <laughs> I, I, I can't even, I, I can honestly tell you, I not, you know, I had knots in my stomach. I, uh, nervous as heck, just the unknown, you know? And I think the, the one thing that I had to do was not, cause there was a lot of hype. There was a, I had, you know, there were so many interviews that D and I had to do before. Once the NBA said they were hiring us, we were, you know, we had to fly to New York. We had to do all these interviews. We had, you know, it was like, it was just a whirlwind of media. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. I just want to referee, you know? Um, but I can honestly say that first game, you know, the fortunate thing for me is that the NBA and all the NBA arenas, I always had my own locker room to myself. So, I never forget that uh, being in Vancouver on October 31st, 1997, it was the Vancouver Grizzly, which no longer, no longer is the NBA. And well, they're the in Dallas Memphis, Mavericks. right? Memphis Grizzly. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're Memphis yeah. now. You, yeah. you got it. Good. There you go. A little history <laughs> on yourself there. And I, um, I went to my locker room, and I just had to sit there for a moment and just kind of take it in and – and uh, the one thing I said to myself was that, you know what? You have trained very, very hard to get here and you deserve to be here. And I'm just going to let the chips fall where they may. And that is a, just another basketball game. So I can honestly say once I put that NBA uniform on in my locker room, uh, I was ready. It was time to walk out and time to go. So all the lights and the camera and action and, you know, all the reporters and, and all the whispering and, and newspaper articles, I let it go and just went out and, and, and refereed the game and looked at all those players like, you know what, they were the guys that I refereed in Los Angeles year after year after year. It was just kind of a bigger arena. Mm. And with that, that's all I needed to do because once the ball went up, I totally forgot that I was refereeing in the NBA. I was just refereeing a basketball game. And the rest was history. How did you keep the, the noise out of your head in terms of, I mean, imagine fans, you know, they, they can be brutal on officials anyway, sometimes coaches yeah. as well, sometimes players as well. How, how, was your, how did they react when you started officiating NBA games? Oh, it was awful. I, it was awful. It was, you know, the, the players didn't want, you know, they didn't want change. You know, it was a good old boys club. Mm -hmm. The players didn't want it. Even my fellow colleagues, they were very hesitant because, again, it's it's a good old boys club. You know how you boy, you know how you men are. Eric. <laughs> you know, it's just, and it wasn't that they didn't think that I could do the job. It had nothing to do with that or anything personal against me. And that's one thing that I always fell back on. It was just the unknown. It was just change. And, and you, as you can see, even in today, change makes people uncomfortable. 
And, and, and for me, once you become a referee, you have to understand that. You have to understand that no one personally is attacking you. No one even, they don't even know, no one even knew me. They knew the shirt. They knew that when I put the shirt on, they could yell at me. They knew that I was a woman and they knew that this was a, you know, it was a male game and they didn't want the woman in the male game because they thought, oh my God, can we yell at her? Can we cuss in front of her? Can we touch her? Is she going to start crying if we yell at her? You know, that type of stuff. And, you know, once, of course, I let them know that I didn't care about any, any of that. And I'll never forget. I tell a funny story. I walked in to my first training camp when it was when I first got hired and went 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 to work. We had to go to training before the season, and and I literally told the guys. I said, "Look, I said I want y'all all to know, you can just treat me like one of the guys, as long as it's respectful and you're not disrespectful to me. I don't care. You can say what you want. You can do what you want. Do not change who you are." And I think I, I allowed them to be a little comfortable. Um, and I wanted them to know that I was, you know, I'm just a referee. I'm not asking for anything, any special privileges. I don't, I don't want any of that. All I ask is that I'm allowed to have my separate locker room. Eric, I tell you, I wore, their, I wore men's pants. The men's shirt. I had to get it tailored to the T. Now I did. Right. I had a really good tailor to take the pants and and fix them and take the shirt and fix that. And but here again, you know what? You do what you do was necessary by any means necessary. You you learn how to make things work. And for me, I knew with players and coaches that it's about the work. That as long as I went out night in and night out, and I was able to do my job, that Everything would calm down. And that's exactly what happened. That players figured out, oh my God, she's, you know, they start saying, you know what, she's better than, than you. Or, you that's know, right. they're pointing at the men because they, it didn't, they, don't, they don't care. A, a basketball player really, the gender really is irrelevant. They just want you to be able to be, to be firm, to be fair, to do the best job you can do. And as long as an official can do that, that's all that matters. Yeah, we're there. Everyone kind of hesitant and and didn't know what you know what the outcome was going to be. But you, if you if you've done the work, and I had done my work, I had worked extremely hard to get where I've gotten in my officiating career during that time. That I knew that the cream would always rise to the top, and that's what happened. So you spent nearly nearly twenty years as an NBA official, do more than nine hundred games. So you, so you mentioned during the course of time. You earned everybody's respect, and it was, I'm sure, much harder on you than it would be other officials coming into the game. At what point do you think coaches, players, maybe fans didn't look at you as as first female official? They looked at you as NBA official. You know what? I can say that the one this is this is what's interesting about being in the NBA versus a college a collegiate official or a high school official, is that when you're in the NBA, it's only 60 officials in the entire world yeah. at the time when I got hired. You think about that, 60 in the entire world. So the one advantage that I had was that they all knew my name. So even to this day, there's referees that are in the NBA right now where a player would come up and they would ask me, they go, what's his name? Because they didn't even know his name, but they knew my name. So that was one plus for me. 
The other thing that you have to realize in the NBA is that years of service means something. So your longevity means something. The, the more years you have under your belt, and can, that, that proves that you, 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 you can handle it. Players get to know you. You know, um, they know that you're firm. They know that you, you can do your job. They know that you're an athlete. They know that you're in shape. They know that you've worked just as hard to be on that court as they have. And that's a respect issue in the NBA. So, of course, everyone knows that all rookies from your first three to four years, it's gonna, you, you, we all have those rookie years, just like a player. Same thing. Everybody has to earn their keep. And for me, that's what I did. I earned my keep, mm. earned my spot. And um, with doing that is where the respect came, you know. And I think it was about my fourth, going to fourth or fifth year is when I literally walked out on the court and players didn't even blink an eye. Just I walked out and said, hey, D, how you doing? How was the summer? You know, can you start exhibition season? You know, how are you? Good to see you. Eric, I can tell you my first whistle. I blew my whistle and everybody just went to their spots. And I went, oh, wow. This is how it is, Joey Crawford or Danny Crawford or Steve Jabby. And he treated me like those guys. And I said, okay, here we go. And it just changed. So for, for and, it, and it's not just in the NBA. I think it's for all officials. You actually have to go out, do the work, Earn your keep. Be the best official you can be because the more plays you get right, the more consistent you are. The, you have to be a good communicator. You have to, you know, you have to have that body language of that confidence that I deserve to be here. I've earned my opportunity to be here. And coaches and players respect that. And as soon as you do that, because we already know we're all human beings, you're going to miss a call. We're, we're human. We all, we all strive. Every referee strives to be the perfect, what that perfect game. It's impossible. But I tell you what, it sure is fun trying to do it. It's the most amazing rush you can have as an official. And no different than a player trying to have that perfect game. So it's earning your stripes, working hard being committed, and you will earn the respect of coaches and players. And I think that's what I did in the NBA. I did it in college. I, I'm doing it even as a, as a coordinator, trying to be that example for my officials. So I think, you know, those attributes of, of an official, they, they, they just go all the way around. It doesn't stop. This is who we are, and this is who I am. And I think if you – if you take that attitude, it doesn't matter what level you're working, you're going to be successful. Talking with Violet Palmer, and you've retired as an NBA official in 2016. I, I know you had some some knee issues and those type of things, but do you still miss uh, getting up and down the floor and, and being in that environment? Oh, you're going to laugh, and absolutely not. I don't <laughs> miss not one bit of the grind of running you know, Eric, most people don't realize being in the NBA, it was an amazing time. That Those 20 years was awesome. But you have to realize you're talking about 20 years of six months. You're on the road for 20, 22, 25 days a month for six months. The travel is excruciating. The schedule is hard. 
and it takes a toll on your body. And, you know, I have to say that I am a woman. I said, I have right to this day, I have two knee replacements. Um, Thank God they are one of the best surgeries I've ever had in my life. Um, And for me, you know what, when it was, when, when 2015, 16, I got a lost count of when I actually retired because that's how good I feel. Um, but I made that decision in 2015 that I had, you know, it had run its course. I was okay with it. And I was okay because I had given my career 150%. I had given all I got. And my body told me, they said, you know what, the running days are over. So what now? Mm. And for me, I've been so blessed that once I came off the floor, being able to teach and train and be a mentor for hundreds, thousands of referees, it's one of the best jobs anyone could have. And I think for me, that's just how I've looked at it. And I can honestly say the only thing that I miss as far as the NBA is concerned, those guys that I worked with were amazing. And I miss them. I miss hanging out with them. I miss having lunch with them. I miss going to dinner with them. And I can honestly say that if, you know, when the, when the NBA season is, is going on, when they come in town, it doesn't matter where I am. They'll call me, say hello, um, call me, you know, do you want, you know, I got tickets to the game. You want to go? I'm like, Oh God, no. I don't want to come near the Staples Center. Um, but I'll, of course, and give the tickets to one of my family members or a close friend or something like that. So having that that camaraderie with, my, with, with all my guys, that's what I miss. Um, being on the floor, no, because I'm, I'm on the floor in a different capacity now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, it's, it's where I should be right now. And I feel really, really good about it. You know, when you've... I, I I tell referees all the time, I say, you can go all the way to the top. Once you get there, there's only one place you can go, Eric. Yeah. And that's on the other side. But what are you going to do when you, when you get to the other side? How are you going to be? Are you going to impact people? Are you going to try to help people? Are you going to try to, to, to help the sport that helped you? And I think for me, that's where my career is now is being a mentor and a teacher and a trainer and, and just trying to make our WAC officials one of the best trained, developed conferences when it comes to officiating in the country. And we are that. There's no question about it. We're respected. Um, we're, we work hard. We're good examples. And I can honestly say that I'm very proud. We have really good people that our officials who work for our conference. And I'm so proud of that. And that makes me just want to work harder. Want, you know, want them to be better. And they want them for themselves. So for me, having the the career that I've had, I, I, I it puts a smile on my face. And I can look back on it, like having this conversation with you and feel so good about it. Mm-hmm. But feel even better about where I am today in officiating for me. And and I am exactly where I where I'm supposed to be, and I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Violet Palmer became the coordinator of women's basketball officials in the WAC in 2015. Violet, you also have that same position for the West Coast Conference. I believe that was the first uh, uh, coordinator job that you had. Also, the Pac-12 
how many officials uh, in, in total are, are are you in charge of, uh, and uh, how, how do you figure out? Uh, you know, I think people work in, in the three different conferences, and and how does that all work? Yeah. Well, you know what, it works. Um, the great thing is, is that I have amazing commissioners. That that I have to say that they all have allowed me to be their coordinators, but they've allowed you know, for all, for all three conferences to work together. So they are independent um, of each other, but when it comes to the officiating part and the training part of it, we're all as one. I don't have to separate, you know, the conferences when I, when I bring them together, you know, so that's been the positive. Um, And yes, I still have, I have probably uh, three fourths, of our officials work all three conferences, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think is a great positive for, for the WAC, because again, the WAC is, is able to have the officials that work in the pack and work in the West coast work WAC games. And I think that's, that's just something that, that just takes us to another level. Um, so for me, um, that's one of the really positives that our commissioners have allowed me to do. And I'm very, very thankful. And I don't, I don't take that for granted in any aspect. Um, so the nice thing is, is that we're able to train together. They all, you know, they all run independently, but they're all kind of as one as well. Have, they all have different rosters, but the rosters all intertwine. And it depends on each official's individual development. Um, and that's where I come in because I make the decision on whether you should be in all three or whether I should just start you off in the WAC or start you off in the WAC in the West Coast and then work you work your way to the pack. You know, so it just depends on where the officials are and their ability and how well they're doing. Um, and that's how I make those decisions. But the nice thing is, is that when it comes to training and developing, um, we're, we all do it together. And I think that's another reason why our advancement has done so well, why we're doing so well. We have a great representation in the NCAA tournament um, and being very proud that I have, uh, we're right under 200 referees for Mm -hmm. all three. I think for the WAC, I probably have about 55 officials on the roster just for the WAC, but total I'm, I have about a hundred, about 180, I think, total for all three conferences. Talking with Violet Palmer, and you mentioned earlier, I asked you about what you'd be doing normally in June, and maybe fans don't realize how much work goes into being an official and and during the off season, it's a lot like being a player in terms of that's when you get better, that's when you go to these camps, that's when you you know I don't think people might might understand how much film you look at. And it's it's much the same way as as a coach or a player would. Oh my, mind you, it's probably more because literally, you know, for us, which is really really nice now, we we use uh, we use DV Sports mm-hmm. for our uh, tr- our our the the mechanism in which we can now watch our games after we offic- after the games are over after we finish officiating. So, literally, about probably ten minutes after after the game is over. We have the tech who brings the iPad, each individual's iPad, and they have the game right on their iPad. So our training starts right after that, literally. Our officials, you know, they have to watch their game. Um, depending upon what conference they're in, 
uh, they have clips that are exchanged back and forth with me. I use video um, to send out with my memos for training purposes during the season, depending upon what the points of emphasis are, depending upon, you know, week to week, how, how the games are going. And then we get through all of the season. And as soon as the season is over, like you just said, Eric, it's time to go to camp. It's time to continue that training. It's time to, you know, uh, go back to the drawing board and figure out where, we, where, you know, what area we were not good, whether we were not good in, with the post play, whether we were not good with the guard play, whether, you know, impeding, you know, holder, holding cutters or rebounding, whatever that might be, is that we, you know, we get in the classroom and we watch video and we, we have talk, talks and we break it down and, and we start all over and we do it every single summer because as our game is growing, our players are getting better. We have to do the same. And again, that's where I'm extremely thankful um, of our commissioner um, that he has allowed us in the WAC to be a part of that training program so that we can continue to get better because our teams are getting better every year. As you, as you know, every mm -hmm. year we get better and better. So it is important that our officials, we do the same thing. And I can tell you that our officials, they look forward to it. And, and I, and I can say this, Eric, nothing that I offer our officials are mandatory. I, I don't sit here and sit out a memo and say, you have to do this or you will not be on staff. Has never, I have never, ever said that. But I can tell you right now that year after year, our officials are there. They love it. They love to, to train. We love to learn. And I think that's another positive to our, our program. And that just, it, it just, you know, sets a tone. And it shows that we, we just all want to be the best and we want to be better. And we want to do the best job we can for our student-athletes. Last thing here, Violet, and and I appreciate you staying on for for so long. I, I could talk to you all day. I, f I feel like, but one of the things <laughs> that, that uh, I've read about, and I'm sure you're you're knee deep in it, is uh, that uh, as far as getting officials for the future, and maybe that pool of officials isn't quite as deep as it used to be, and and that uh, there, there's having to be creative ways of trying to recruit new officials because as you mentioned like like your road going from from rec league to college to pro uh that that at the lower levels you're not seeing as many officials and and what are some things that, that maybe can be done to to try to recruit some new officials well you know what i kind of do everything eric i go i'm still very active in my high school association you know living here in los angeles there's so you know we have san fernando we have uh, Long Beach, we have South Bay, we, we have all these different units. And I literally, you know, uh, October, I, I can tell you, I am, I am at all those high school associations. I'm talking to the groups. I'm, you know, uh, sending out blasts when we're having camps. I attend high school camps. I attend junior college camps. You know, it, it really doesn't matter to me because anywhere I can teach, I do my best every year for the last three years, even at the NCAA final four, um, the coaches association, they've had me do a, an officials clinic to mm -hmm. coaches who possibly, you know, ex student athletes, we're, we're, we're heavily pushing ex student athletes that when they graduate, if they don't make it to the WNBA or if they don't go overseas, you know what? Officiating is an opportunity. 
We would love to have you because, you know, they're very familiar with the game. They understand it. They're athletes. And most, you know, ex-basketball players catch on very fast. So it's just a matter of putting putting yourself out there, showing people that officiating, you know, the, the positives to it. And I think we that I'm doing that, I think, for all the different coordinators all over the country. We're all doing the same thing. But I can tell you for me that I get phone calls to uh, – from ex-players or I get phone calls from a coach and say, Hey, my player, you know what? She's, she's going to be done. She's thinking about officiating. You know what? I don't care where she lives. I can direct her in the right direction or him. doesn't really matter. Right. But, you know, we have a strong push for women because it's a women's game. Um, so um, the pool is not as small as you think, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a matter of getting them trained and, and, and knowledge is golden. I think the more we've, that we try to educate, you know, our ex-athletes and and uh, get to our high school associations and show them that there's an advancement here, and there's a natural progression that that you can advance to, and that's getting to the Division One women's basketball level, and we're doing that. So we will continue to do that, um, as well as continue to train the officials that we have on staff now. Well, Violet, as I mentioned, I, I could sit here and talk to you all day, but uh, we've we've got to uh, try to try to move move on here. But uh, uh, I, I cannot wait until uh, basketball gets started again, and and that we have a chance to see you, uh, you know, either next winter uh, at, at a basketball game or or maybe in uh, Las Vegas for for the conference tournament. Hope you and your family uh, stay safe and healthy and, and uh, good luck to you for the rest of, uh, until we see you again. Absolutely. Thank you, Eric. And thank you for having me. This was amazing. And I just hope that everyone stays safe and be healthy. And we will definitely, this too shall pass. And we will definitely get back to uh, being in our arenas and refereeing and, and we'll talk about this and, and it, it'll be the thing of the past without a doubt. That is Violet Palmer, the WAC coordinator of women's basketball officials. Also want to thank Rachel Vigil for joining us earlier and want to thank you for listening to the WAC podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WACsports.com. Sports.com.